Welcome to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. We come to you weekly from Shilling Speakers Toastmasters Club. An online club with global membership in District 91 in the UK. Welcome to this week's edition of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. This week it's me, Pat Caslin, and... And me, Philippa Gray. Hello. How are you? We're missing Violetta Saladiene this week. She's not feeling the best, but I hope that she'll be back with us for our next podcast. Anyway, Philippa, what's your big idea this week? I'm afraid I've struggled for big ideas. I'm putting it down to the cold weather. I'm sure it shrinks the brain cells. But suppose I have had big ideas just about keeping going, uh, not lying in bed feeling sorry for myself, making myself get out into the cold and balancing my need for warmth with the current cost of uh, heating. So, frankly, Pat, that is about as far as I've managed with big thoughts. Well, there you are. That's what the cold does for the brain. It freezes yeah. down the brain cells. All right. Yeah. Well, I've been keeping indoors because it's been too dangerous to go out. But the big idea that I've had this week is about the need to write things down. Last week, I had a meeting with some of my colleagues and we discussed a strategy that we all talked about and agreed. And I thought I had got my head around it. But this week, I'm writing down all of those ideas and committing them to paper and getting everybody who contributed to commit them to paper. And it's fascinating what's come out of that in terms of focusing everybody on thinking clearly. And if you really do want to think clearly, I think that you've got to write down what you're thinking, because if you don't write it down, you don't subject it to the scrutiny of others. You don't integrate others thinking into yours and you don't get a real clarity about what the ideas are because committing it to words allows others to inspect your idea to dissect your idea to take your idea apart and look at the components of it and see whether they fit comfortably into the rest of the jigsaw of ideas that are being proposed so Writing is a really, really important part of clarifying that everybody is on the one page, that everybody is thinking the same way, that everybody has identified the issues and the difficulties that they see in the whole of the strategy or the proposal that's being put forward. So it's something that is really valuable, but it takes time and people are resistant to having their ideas exposed in that way to the cold reality of others' views. And very often, ideas don't get shared properly, don't get understood properly, or don't really go off on the same tangent as they should or on the same direction as they should, because not everybody is clear that a part of their idea is pointing in a slightly different direction to everybody else's idea. And those cracks only appear when sometimes we're halfway down the road. So writing things down and subjecting them to other scrutiny to see that we're all on the one page is a really valuable piece of work to do, well worth the time. And I'm highly recommending it to anybody who wants to be clear 
about the idea that they have in their head and whether it's the same idea as everybody else does. A great example of this is Amazon, where when a paper is being prepared, it's sent around to all of the people who have an input to make on it. The different ideas are shared. They're commented on before the paper gets circulated. They're refined. And then the entire of the idea, the whole strategy, the whole proposal comes together with everybody's comments on it. And then the relevant people that have observations to make on that and that can change, refine or improve it are brought into a room. Everybody reads the paper at the beginning of the meeting and then the paper is discussed and agreed and a strategy um, or an outcome comes from that. It's a great way to have meetings and it's a great way to get agreement on something. So the idea this week, my big idea, write it down, expose yourself to the scrutiny of allowing other people to inspect what you're thinking and that will really help you clarify your thinking and whether it's in an accordance with or in concurrence with others. There's my big idea this week, Philippa. Thank you, Pat. I was agreeing with a lot of what you said, but for your process to work, not only do you need somebody who can put their ideas on paper, but what do you think, what skills are needed by the other participants? I mean, I'm well, sure first, I've been in circumstances where my good ideas are shot down by noisy people who've got their own agendas to push. Oh, of course, they. you always get people who are noisy and have got their own agendas to push. But if there is a well-functioning organization that is looking for clarity about what business they're doing or what their purpose is or why they're doing things, or that they want to be clear in their own minds about an evaluation of something or a proposal on something. If you get people that are genuinely interested in getting the best idea as distinct from getting their own idea to the top of the pile for consideration, and you're, the, those people are genuinely interested in the welfare of the business or the welfare of the group or whatever that purpose is, well, then you get that sharing of minds. But if you're in organizations where people are just in there for the sake of what they get out of it or what they want or to push their own agendas, you know, and you find that in a lot of organizations, you find it particularly, I think, in, in academic organizations, particularly in academic organizations. Um, you find it a lot in the professions where people get married to a particular idea whether it be right or wrong, but it they associate the idea with themselves. It becomes part of their identity. And to that extent, people are often very resistant to, uh, to change. Uh, they're resistant to listening to others and they're resistant to the fact that maybe they don't have the monopoly on knowledge and, um, and insight. And that's always going to be difficult because if your idea is part of you, as distinct from something that you take off the shelf, you examine, you look at it critically and you say, yes, there's value in that or there's not. And you put it back on the shelf. You don't have to associate the idea with you and allowing it to become part of your identity. An idea is not necessarily part of you. And a lot of people don't understand that. So in well-functioning organizations where people think about ideas as not just who I am, it's something that I can examine and agree with or disagree with and, and agree with part of it or disagree with part of it 
Well, then you get well-functioning organizations at work as distinct from fiefdoms that are self-promotion. Thank you, Pat. I'm going to have to long, have a long, hard think with my shrunken brain cells. Uh, one, how I manage those people who are married to the ideas, and two, how not to become one of those people who are married to their, their ideas. So, yes, that's a um, useful thought. Thank you very much, Pat. And that brings us to the end of part one of this week's edition of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Keep listening for part two, where you'll hear the second part of our interview with Richard Jennings. Welcome back. In part two of this week's podcast, you can hear the second half of Violetta's interview with Richard Jennings. Last time, Richard talked about how he joined Toastmasters, why you need to have a sense of humour when Toastmaster of the day, and the pleasure he finds in following his passions. Listen on to hear more from Richard. The job you do is very rewarding, I believe. It is rewarding. I've uh, started this new thing of uh, becoming a broadcaster. And that's, that's something I'm passionate about today. And I owe all this to what we're doing right now. When, when, when the pandemic started back in 2020, um, a lot of clubs around the world were left wondering what to do. And then uh, I get this phone call that says, hey, we're thinking about having a virtual meeting. And I did not want any part of that. Uh, nothing, nothing to do with uh, virtual meetings. And then you go to one and uh, the next thing you know, you're running events. And the next thing you know, you're, it's a lot of fun. I mean, so this medium is actually... Uh, uh, been very fun. I think many people around the world have learned new technology that they did not know before. I think we've all embraced it. Uh, I think the world belongs to those who have embraced it. Uh, but uh, yeah, becoming a broadcaster is something that that interests me at the present time. And I have, oh, yeah. I have to thank I have to thank Zoom and I have to thank Shilling Speakers for a little bit of that. Yeah, so technology has definitely changed our world, especially it accelerated uh, during um, and after COVID-19. Mm. Sure. Oh, I'm enjoying this. Uh, you got me all day. <laughs> if I can step in and ask a question, Richard. Sure. Uh, you've told us how you got started in Toastmasters. Can you tell us a bit about where you've been? which district you're involved in, what roles sure. you've taken? Sure. Uh, my home district uh, is District 5. And uh, District 5 is mostly San Diego, California. We also uh, have parts of Imperial County. That's a county right next to us. And then the little sliver of Yuma, Arizona. So that's how big uh, uh, my district is. As far as my roles go, I was just thinking about it. I think I've belonged at some point in time to seven Toastmasters clubs. Uh, not all at one time, of course, but uh, seven. And um, let's see, I've been a club president numerous times. Uh, I've been a education vice president, vice president of education, which is the hardest role 
out there. For the last several years, I've been the Toastmaster for our uh, spring conference or the, uh, the international speech contest at the district level, which I'm very happy about. That's, that's nice when they ask you to do those things. Um, I think for the most part, that's about it. I mean, uh, oh, uh, I guess the office I've held at the, at the district level is logistics manager, uh, also known, used to be called sergeant at arms. I loved, I love rounding. I love rounding up a bunch of Toastmasters. That's very fun to do. Uh, it's almost like, it's almost like, it's almost like herding dinosaurs, uh, gathering dinosaurs together, putting them in which corner of the room, telling them to be quiet. Uh, I, I, I was made for that, for that role, uh, so to speak. I hope I answered your question. Yes, that's great. I love that metaphor. I'm going to be talking mm. about herding dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, not too, many not too many people can do it. <laughs> so the I'm world so belongs that. to that privileged few that can. Well, that's all my questions. So, Oh, I, if I can add this, how I found shilling speakers, uh, being a North American, I don't know if you want that answer, but, well, uh, because we were virtual, I got the brilliant idea. Why don't we, why don't, why don't we travel around the world virtually? So finding out what other clubs were meeting. And uh, I started locally, you know, my hometown uh, had their virtual meetings. I revisited other Toastmasters club that I've visited over the years, like in Nevada and some other places. And uh, I got the idea of like, let me explore, let me travel Canada virtually, which eventually led to Britain and uh I became a member of Hamwick Speakers, uh, one of the other clubs in your area. And that eventually led for me to meet a couple of your members, uh, I believe like Paul and Antonia, of course. And that was fun to do. I even, what did I do that day? I, I didn't judge. Maybe I did judge. I had to wake up early in the morning on a Saturday morning, I think like four o'clock my time to participate in a meeting over there in England. And because virtual, I feel like I've met some wonderful people around the world. And uh, you, you, you are one of them. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But that wouldn't have not that would not have happened if there was not a pandemic. So once again, there's a, a lesson here that in every dark cloud, there is a silver lining. And sometimes you have to find it. Sometimes it's easy to find, but sometimes you have to remove the weeds and, and just accept it. During pandemic, there was a moment when I, in one day, I traveled around the world. I could really say in Toastmasters clubs, like in the morning, I went to the Toastmasters in Sweden. Then during lunchtime uh, in Vancouver and in the evening in the UK. So I said, wow, only Toastmasters can do it. Mm. And uh, well, well, you know what? I will say this: there are a couple of phrases I don't ever want to hear again. But if I do hear them, I'm not going to be disappointed. Uh, phrases like "turn your mic on," phrases like "can you hear me," phrases like "can you see my screen," I, I, I think those are just accepted parts of speech now. They are. They are <laughs> new, uh, new phrases. Absolutely. And with this said, 
I would like to thank our special guest today for coming to our Shilling Toastmasters podcast and being our guest. Well, this was a lot of fun, and I wish the podcast the best of luck on uh, uh, future. Uh, I think this is a great marketing to wait one way to get the word out about the the club and your club is a wonderful club and by this we end our part two of shilling toastmasters and in part three of this week's edition of the shilling toastmasters podcast we have philippa on her soapbox philippa thank you pat i've been working on this one or trying to, as I mentioned earlier, my brain cells have shrunk with the cold. But while I've been thinking about this, I've been distracted by some other friends, not Toastmasters, having a chat on WhatsApp about tortoises. And this was a serious distraction, tied up with some thoughts I had three years ago when I went on a cruise this time of year to Norway to see. Well, see the Northern Lights, but more importantly, I wanted to experience 24-hour night, the Arctic night, which I've always been drawn to. And it was the most fabulous experience. I experienced the Arctic night for, I think it's about four or five days. Absolutely beautiful. We got to see the full moon at midday. It's a magical experience. We saw North Cape by moonlight. It's one thing having a great fun holiday with a new experience, like talking to some of the Norwegian crew members about how they coped with the 24-hour darkness for weeks on end. And the advice was to just have to go with the flow. You can't fight it. You have to accept you're not going to see daylight. And it's a chance to relax a bit more, spend more time reading. You know, it's nothing better than curling up with a good book when the weather's bad. So I took that on board. And then my friends started talking about their tortoises, how some of them had settled down for hibernation. Others kept escaping from their boxes. I was thinking, I've never actually owned a tortoise, listeners. It's something that's appealed to me until I met one in real life and got uh, spat at for no good reason. But I can identify with tortoises. Growing temptation just to curl up and go to sleep until spring is uh, getting stronger and stronger. I've even got a pile of books ready to uh, start reading but being me I expect like a lot of people I've just got commitments and I haven't scheduled in a uh, nice sort of winter break to be uh, activated when the weather turns so I think that is my fault well we are rather weather dependent this week Philip aren't we well I'm on the south coast of England and it hasn't actually been that bad. As I said earlier, I have focused on sort of making myself get up and go out. And once you've got enough clothes on and you're wearing the right clothes, 
And something else I picked up in Norway was there's no such thing as bad weather, only the wrong sort of clothing. Once you've wrapped yourself up and got out there, it can be quite pleasant. Um, been days when it looked like it was slippery underfoot, but I tested it very gingerly in my uh, winter boots and it was fine. And I've actually managed to do quite a bit of walking. To get back to my point, yes, we need to go with the weather, go with the time of year, don't fight it too hard and allow ourselves time to relax, listen to our own needs. So that is my soapbox for the week. Well, I'm going to take from that, Philippa, that there is no such thing as bad weather, but there are the wrong clothes. And I think you might be absolutely correct, or your Norwegian friends might be absolutely correct on that. And that's something that I may well act on soon. Yes. Um, however, I can testify that the solution to that is not just to keep adding layers. I've been experimenting with that. And I can tell you, you can add so many layers and then they just cease to take effect. So I was um, happily sitting with a hot water bottle thinking, oh, that's a good idea, until I saw some costings this morning, uh, properly researched by a credible group. And it seems boiling a kettle to give yourself a hot water bottle is one of the more expensive ways of uh, keeping warm. A lot cheaper than putting the heating on, but uh, apparently electric throws are a much better bet. Well, there you go. So there's an idea for your listeners. Stay warm by having an electric throw and get the right clothes and don't curse the weather. That's the end of this week's edition of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Thank you to Philippa for a very insightful soapbox. And we will see you next week. So goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. That's it for today from the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share with your friends.